You're listening to Beyond the Jargon on CFUV, a jargon-free look at graduate students and their work here at the University of Victoria. I'm Mario, and I'll be your host today. All right, welcome to my first show, guys. So uh, today I'm interviewing a buddy of mine named Elliot. We're going to chat a little bit in general about what Elliot gets up to, what the, what his research is like, and I just wanted to preview it a bit. Elliot and I are good buddies, so every once in a while we go a little off topic or we might get a little weird. So, so welcome to the show. You'll notice that my style is going to be a bit different from Colleen's, and we thought that that would be great because then you can have two different examples of types of shows and... Uh, Hopefully you'll enjoy both. If a conversation goes over the 30-minute time allotment of the show, I'm going to continue recording. And so what I'll do is release any extra time afterward as the podcast itself when it goes digital. So if you love the show, by all means, please listen to it on the radio. And if you love it enough that you want a little bit more, head to the website and grab a copy of it for yourself. My goal each week is going to be to discuss not only what their research is, but really why they do it and what drives and motivates them to do it. It should be a pretty good time. I hope it's enjoyable at the very least and um, at the very most inspiring. So thanks for listening and enjoy. Welcome, Elliot. Thanks. I'm here with Elliot Lee, a fellow master's student in the psychology department. Why don't we kick off, just make yourself comfortable. What what exactly you're up to right now would be the best place to start. I'm studying social psych, like you said, and in this weird limo space of trying to decide if that's where my future goes. But in the present moment, doing a whole lot of TA work, mm-hmm. a whole lot of grading stuff, and then standing by those grades later on when students come and say, this is not right. And I go, no, it is. It is. And then also got the first round of data analysis today. So uh, for my thesis, hopefully be finishing up, finishing up my thesis by April or August, most likely August for financial reasons. Basically, if I finish in April, I don't, my, my, I don't get my fellowship for throughout the summer. So may as well finish in April. Okay. What's the, what's the topic for the thesis? It is spirituality in the environment is what it breaks down to. I believe that there's a certain sort of spirituality that many people could possess, uh, whether it be a religion or you name it, uh, whatever people ascribe to, and that a lot of these things being that spirituality is sort of a self-transcendent pursuit. It's something outside of yourself. You're not uh, doing it. Most, some people do it for selfish reasons, but most people don't. And essentially, I believe that because of that, there will be another kind of outside association with another self-transcendent pursuit, which is the environment. So our research holds that when you activate one, you'll also activate the other. So our belief is that if we tell people, be spiritual, and then they go ahead and be spiritual, theoretically, they didn't according to the results that I got today. (laughs) The manipulation barely worked, if at all. So what were you trying to get them to do? Well, all we did was we instructed participants during the second... We had daily diaries. So daily diaries are a form of research that most people just run experiments and they just go measure one thing, manipulate one thing, and then measure that first thing again. What we did was we had uh, daily diaries. So every day for 14 days in our study, some people do daily diaries for... 
10 years. Some people do daily diaries for one month. But what we did was we did it for 14 days. And the first week we had participants just answer questions about their everyday life. And then some of them were environmental questions. And then during the second week, the nights, at every night and then every morning, we sent them an email reminding them, take a minute to yourself and think about spirituality or the most spiritual moment of your life. And then from there, they were asked to basically tell us about their, their day. And then in the end, we end up having a measure of their environmental attitudes and behaviors before and after we asked them to think about spirituality. And we're essentially hoping that the people who thought about spirituality will report greater pro-environmental attitudes and behaviors. We also had a control condition where we had asked half of the group of participants to reflect on a pleasurable life experience. So in that condition, they were asked, think about the most pleasurable thing that's happened in your life. And I don't know if they actually do. And that's the big mm-hmm. thing. That's the other part of this research. So I ran a bit of a statistical analysis this morning, checking on the two conditions to see if the spirituality measure, if the people in the spirituality group reported being more spiritual. They did, and it was statistically significant, but it was it's very marginal. You know, I, I was expecting a bit more of a stronger effect. And I can't remember where I was going with that train of thought. But. Well, I asked about... You know what you've what you looked for, and then what you found, and but so it's. I'm glad you took a break for a sec because I, the the name of the show is Beyond the Jargon, and so uh, I'm just going to define a couple things for our folks real quick. You use the term control condition, and uh, that's a term that a psychologist uses to refer to the group where everything is held constant and stays the same. So. Whenever you're doing a study in psychology, the the idea is you're changing something for folks. And so there has to be a version of the same study that is at least reasonably similar where you don't change anything for the people. And so that's what a control condition is called. And then the other term was manipulation, and all that is is the critical change, the main difference between that control group and what we call your experimental group or the group that you're actually curious to see whether what you think you're changing is actually changing and then what else that does depending on your on your outcome measure. And so uh, how you got into that is you were talking about your manipulation and how you weren't sure if it worked. It, it looked like no one really felt the it's sounding like no one felt the increased spirituality that you hoped they would feel. Yeah, we basically had asked them reflect on the most spiritual moment of your life. And then we also asked them later on in the day, how spiritual do you feel? So at two different times of the day, we expect that to kind of carry over. And it kind of did, but I would have hoped for a little bit larger reaction. Mm-hmm. I guess uh, being a daily diary study participants go out and do their own thing so they're not in a lab they're at home there's so many other things that could influence them and it, it's frustrating because i kind of just want them in a lab where i can manipulate the little pawns that they are yeah. no, i don't <laughs> that's the worst when you when saying that because i know that that's the perception of so many people when they talk about psychology they're like you're just trying to manipulate me I'm like it does sound I'm like not. you should have a lab coat on yeah yeah i'm not but i am i'd like to yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I have I've found that personally that a lot of people come in and assume the worst immediately, especially once they get to the cognition section of Psych 100, they start to hear about how participants get fooled all the time. And uh they come in with the preconception that these guys are trying to mess with me and I'm trying to figure out how, even yeah. though they know ahead of time that that ruins whatever we're doing. It's yeah. you're you're killing us. You're ruining us and you don't care. It's like 
uh, <laughs> it's like going to a magic show and sitting there the whole time and just trying to figure out what's going on. Like there's a everybody does it. It's I know David Blaine man trying to figure out why. How did he make that yacht disappear? <laughs> yeah, I think the smoothest next transition is uh, your your study is on environmental behaviors, environmentalist behaviors, then and spirituality and the possible link between the two. That'd be a safe yeah. way to say it. So through a framework of self transcendence. Okay. When you are thinking more selflessly about one thing, you're more likely to be selfless about something else. Is that that? Yeah, it is. It correct. is that. Feel it free is to correct that, me. That's the basic idea, but I wouldn't refer to it as selfless, okay. because a lot of people do pursue each of these for selfish pursuits. Okay. Now, when I don't believe that self transcendence can translate into selflessness, mm-hmm. because. A selflessness is exactly in the word is a lack of the self where you're pursuing things not for the inherent desire, whereas self transcendence is its justness outside of the self. So it you still may be doing it for per, for personal reasons, but the goal itself is outside of you. It is for maybe the benefit of the greater good. It okay. is for things like that. That is the that's good. I think that's a helpful clarification for, for me and hopefully for other folks as well. So why is that your topic, uh, task it in the simplest way possible? It's something that I've been – basically I, I have two passions in life, religion and the environment. And it's this is a collision of the two in a mashful kind of way. Basically what happened was in my fourth year of undergrad, I took a course called Psychology and the Environment, and then with that, I got fired up about the environment, and I'm Christian, so I've been raised in a spiritual home. Well, not a spiritual home, but I have a bit of a spiritual background, and I went out and said, I, I know that I'm passionate for these two things, and I know that psychology, can you can study both of them, and then why not study both of them at the same time and see how they're related? So in my undergrad, I actually ran a study comparing Buddhists and Christians on environmental attitudes, and it's uh, it's really interesting. It's something that really interests me, just how, especially I come from a Christian background, which quite often has been known as being hateful and spiteful towards the environment, and there's so many different theories about why, there's so many different explanations as to maybe we can say it's because of Genesis, and how in Genesis God says you can have dominion over the earth, and therefore all Christians must hate the earth. Well, that means you have to take the Bible literally, you have to understand every passage in the Bible, and especially that one, and you have to let that influence everything you do in your life. When really a lot of people use the Christianity not as a guiding force specifically from the book, but they use it as a guiding force from their everyday life in how they pray, how they act spiritually. So kind of leads me to this. That's awesome. Yeah. That See, the, the coolest part and one of the main reasons I wanted you to be my first guest on the show is that I knew that we would get to this place immediately. Um, there, No, this, yeah. I'm serious. But I firmly believe, and that's sort of the impetus of the show and the, the reason behind it, the reason that I first approached Colleen, the other host, last spring and said, Colleen, I want to do a podcast. I want to base it on grad student research, is that I believe that we all do this for a reason. And I think for some of us, that reason is more toward the surface. And I think you're an example of one of one of us who, who holds it near the surface at all times. And I, and I respect that a lot. And I think that that reason is that we believe it's worth something. I think we believe that there's, there's a point to it. There's a grander purpose behind it. 
because I I also think that grad students are thinkers. Yeah. Basing it on any of the number of people I've met and how quickly they uh, are willing to get so deep to the point where someone actually asked me about the show. It came up. I'm going to go. It came up organically. It, it came up in conversation uh, at a party with some friends. I with some new friends and an old friend heard me talking about it from across the room and they heard me say, well, I think there's a deeper purpose to the reason. And they yelled, Mario, you over there pretending to be deep again. Yeah. I don't know where I was going with that. Maybe you can help me link the two together um, more explicitly for yourself. So uh, how to you does the linkage of Christianity and environmentalism, especially in your research, I don't know, it, it sounds cheesy to say, how does it forward the world? But how does it, you know what I'm saying? There's a, I, I'm, do you do, you do it? Because I, I kind you, of, yeah. why do I do it is a good question, I would say, because for me, I remember in third year, my undergrad, I had a supervisor who was a feminist and she was to qualitative research. And a lot of those two things, feminist research and qualitative research, is that you have to declare your standpoints. So every paper I wrote with her, she said, declare where you're coming from with this. And part of that became, we had to do, do two big projects that year. We had to run two studies in a full year and it was big, big ordeal. But for both of them, you had to state why kind of what you were doing this and put it put a label to who you are and what you believe in the world so for her it was feminist for me um after discussing with her i met with her a few times she basically broke it down that i was a deconstructionist i hate establishment don't ask me why don't know tell me where it comes from i love to see things crumble i love to tear them down and that's uh, coming from where a Christian background or a being raised, I wasn't really raised Christian, but I attended church when I, when I felt like it with a Christian mother and an atheist father. I, I guess that too made me question, question having like the two forces and then makes me just want to tear the church down and be like, what, this is ridiculous. Do people believe this and, and why do I believe it? And then makes me question it. And then from there, I want to, tear everything down and so i want to tear down preconceived notions of these things too so when people when i when i first read because the first research i did on this topic was was in uh, my undergrad and i basically found papers it the most well-known paper linking christianity and the environment is from 67 a dude wrote a paper Essentially stating that the theory I just said, based upon Genesis 2, God gave dominion over all the animals, and so therefore humans must do it and do whatever they want with it. And I was like, that doesn't seem right. And so I found follow-up studies that were done and saying that it only is only true amongst certain Mormon populations, amongst people who believe in biblical literalism, amongst people who are very orthodox, things like that. And so it kind of confirmed it again for me, but then I still wanted to go further and be like, maybe it's true compared to other religions, and maybe maybe there are certain aspects of it that are good, too. You're like, maybe, because for, for a while there, I was trying to prove that the theory was wrong, and then I was then I was thinking, well, the idea of Christianity is different to everyone, and the idea of spirituality is different to everyone, so maybe with each person's perception of what they believe their spirituality to be, maybe the way it manifests itself in somebody's life, maybe that influences how environmental they are. And 
that's where the I guess that answers half of your question because mm-hmm. the uh, the environmental thing is still some yeah. enigma. I haven't really addressed that. Where did that come from? In fourth year, I took a course on psychology and the environment, and I just fell in love. And I went. Environmental stuff has always fired me up. It's always gotten me under my skin a little, and like why people wouldn't. It just seems common. You know, when somebody does something that seems common sense, somebody. I'm trying to think of a good example. Like somebody holds a nail by putting their thumb on the top as they're about to strike it with a hammer. And you would think, why? Why would you even do that? That You're going to hurt yourself. To me, that is my perception of treating the environment bad. And I don't know why it is that way, but I go, why why are you going to do something that's going to harm the earth and potentially other people? This seems ridiculous. From there, I I was really influenced by this course that I took that I found out that my other passions, uh, psychology, could be linked with the environment. And I had an instructor who was, she was great. She was really informative. She was kind of on the forefront of the field because uh, psychology and environmental studies really aren't linked too much. Historically, environmental psych itself, if you ask somebody who's in environmental psych, they don't study environmentalism or ecology or being eco-friendly. What they study is human interaction with environments. So it could be how lighting affects your mood, things like that. But uh, So sort of like industrial organizational psych type of stuff then. Yeah. Okay. I was going to go into how, uh, I don't know, how there are different arms of psychology and how they all exist within the same framework and have the same basic methods for the most part, but can really deal with wildly different things from the way your eyes move across a picture of somebody's face to how well you can remember a word versus a painting to, uh, how you may react in a certain social situation, uh, to whether sitting in my office all day under fluorescent lighting kills me slowly, which I believe it does. It does. And then whether... It doesn't um, just kill you, it tears your soul out. I believe it does, especially especially on days when certain things go wrong in the electricity or the bulbs or whatever it is that cause it to to just hum at me Mm. for eight hours. I think... Yeah, I I believe that's... that's, It's a dementor. Yeah, that's sure. the dementors of Uvic. Yeah, going more grad students to prey upon. Yeah, it's the de- it's if there were dementors, <laughs> if Harry Potter were real, and he may and spoiler, he's not. <laughs> uh, there would be dementors in fluorescent lights. They would. That's where they would live. It's where they'd come out. They would store souls in there. They would have. They would there would be little like if you if you'd flick you the light off in there? after a long time a soul would fall out yep. and you go it looks like Dave and it wouldn't look like Dave you but it pop would pop one of them it would feel like Dave they go Poof. exactly and that's the exact sound of a soul exploding a little it is. bit that's the soul that's been trying to break out of that glass forever it's scary <laughs> yeah so where were we we're still on your research and your development into your current project and and your your development as a as a young psychologist at this point and so we've sort of covered two large influences it seems like you had your uh uh your your feminist professor who taught you to take a stand and have a viewpoint in a paper you had uh your environmentalist prof who taught the course and then you had uh i have another one who inspired me to do things but not along either of these lines just okay. a, just another prof that I I studied under. He was I think he was really one of the reasons that I got 
into research, which okay. is great because that would be excellent. I actually went into psych because I had this idea that people love to talk to me. I want to be a psychologist and have people talk to me, tell me the problems. So therapy was <laughs> therapy your original. Was, I was I was interested in therapy, clinical psych, and then I went to one of my first days of university and I was like, "This class is awesome." I, at the university I went to, Carleton U in Ottawa. For some reason, they forced you to take these things called first-year seminars. The prof was awesome. He he got me fired up for research. It wasn't particularly on anything that I was interested in, but from that, I developed a relationship with him that I ended up working in his lab for two or three years doing research with him, and that got me experience in what doing psychological research was like. And so I went, yeah, this is awesome. This is for me. A lot more than talking to people. That's terrible. (laughs) (laughs) So the bug bit you. Yeah, yeah, the bug. And then I found out you have to take statistics to do it. And the bug released its clasps a little, but I still still do it. You made it through and you're here. It was really interesting stuff. I I did some weird studies in undergrad, too. Actually, I got into it because of what I was speaking about earlier, that I wanted... I got fired up about research and part of the thing about getting fired up about research was that I wanted to make a difference in the world I wanted to say here are the things that I see happening in the world how can I explain them at the very least not not even change them but explain them and that's what fires you up about research yeah it kind of does in certain ways otherwise research scares me because you can't ever understand everything and I'm learning more and more that psychology research, at least in the social psych side, a lot of it is. It can be influenced in different ways that you're that it's not it's not a natural science and it tries so hard to be. And I do, I kind of want to pull myself away from that at times, but otherwise, yeah, I find myself just wanting to wanting to contribute to to society in general, and then I that brings up the question: Is am I? Is what I'm I am doing contributing to society? Is what I'm going going to be doing going to contribute to society? If I make a link between spirituality and environment, how will that help? So then that brings up a broader question of: Should I be doing something else? No. Should I be doing the same thing? And should I be seeking other pursuits as well? Because I've, I'm always involved in other things. I'm. I've, I've always been like that. I can't put all my eggs in one basket. So last year I was volunteering at a church in the area and helping to lead a youth group. So changing and shaping young minds in that way. I would like to disseminate knowledge in other ways. So then what I realized after that is, is it the actual research or is it the sharing and the teaching? It's both. I mean, part of, part of being a professor involves teaching and having grad students and having many undergrad students that you can share with. And I, I, I would hope that one day I would continue with this dream of mine of being a professor, because that's essentially what, I, essentially what I got into this for. I went, yeah, I love the idea of being a professor. I love the idea of, in a weird sort of pathetic way, I want to set my own hours too, because you kind of have that freedom sometimes, at least during the summer. Most, most professors do. Definitely. Uh, at least in psychology department, from what I see. So let me ask a question. Must research and teaching be separate, or they often are. Can they be combined? They're often both. I think that okay. a lot of people's research doesn't get translated into their teaching just because of circumstance. So many departments, you're studying or you're researching a certain topic. 
I think that for me, I then begin to question that is it actually the research or just gaining the knowledge part? Because I love to gain knowledge. I hate reading. I'm not particularly because I find it awful, but because I'm slow. I'm I'm a slower than average reader. It's just the way I'm wired. I'm not that quick, so it takes me forever to get through reading things. I can't read movies. Like when there's a script in a movie, I have to pause it to be able to read it on time. I'm just it happens, and so when I um, I hate reading, but I love to learn, and so I end up wanting to just learn and learn and learn, and then share that with other people. And I love to learn practical things too. I'm currently a TA for motivation and emotion, and you can learn so many practical things for that. And I just want to teach people. I just want to tell people every day, like making a list isn't the best way for you to finish these goals that you want to finish today. What you should be doing is <laughs> telling them about research that says what's going to help them do that. And that's what I want to be doing. But And that's why I got into this, essentially, because I wanted to be able to teach people things and say, yes, this is the way things are. Because they're essentially, you can say that things do break down into the way they are and the way they aren't. And what we... What I believe in my research is I'm helping to not prove that, but show that amongst certain fields. So with psychology or in the environment, uh, there's links between the two and why people are environmental and why they aren't. You can find clear lines here and there, sometimes more gray, but oftentimes clear lines. And you want to say that this is what you should do to be more environmental, or this is why other people are and other people aren't. And I'd love to share that knowledge with people. I'd love to learn more about it myself. And I think that some questions aren't answered, so essentially I would like to answer them myself by doing research. And I I find questions all the time. All the time. That's one of the other reasons I got into this. I carry that little black book just like you do in my back pocket. I always have a book in me. And I write down ideas for studies because you see one thing in life and you see another and you think, maybe they're related through something else. Maybe maybe there is a relationship between these two things that seems so far off. And, uh, like, even today, while biking, out of nowhere, I was biking to school, and I had something popping in my head for my PhD proposal that I was like, oh, my goodness, we were trying to create a paradigm for it, and I just had an epiphany that went, we don't even need to. People have their own paradigms, and we just need to study that, and... I, I, I see things everyday life that I want to understand so maybe if I had an unlimited supply to every journal in the world and I could just read all day long maybe I'd be satisfied but <laughs> essentially that, that doesn't answer everything so maybe I want to study things on my own I wanted to add one other thing to what you're saying too and it's that I think the research is also teaching in itself so you're you know, you were saying that some people use their research to directly inform their classroom teaching, and I agree there. But to me, research is the the end-all, be-all of the, the point of this. You can directly teach people the basics of a concept or of a field, but all you're doing is essentially training them to do more research. Mm-hmm. And so when when people do research that has no translation to regular life or that has no application to anything uh i I find it useless but the the stuff i find super useful is the research that is directly applicable or research that at least is explainable um i I think that the the point of what we're doing here is to 
to inform ourselves and why bother informing ourselves if we're never going to inform others. That's part of the reason that our brewery we call Ivory Tower Brewing because keeping all the knowledge within the Ivory Tower is pointless. And that's part of the reason for the analogy. And um, shouting it down from there is also pointless. You have to leave the tower and you have to walk out onto the ground and you have to talk to people. And that's the other point of this podcast (laughs) is – it's called beyond the jargon in order to take research and explain it in useful ways. Um, I I have such respect for people who take their research. Sure. They'll publish the papers they'll publish in the uh, accredited peer reviewed journals, but they'll also write a book. And on the side, this book is what sells. And this book is what shows what we're doing to the people who really matter. The people it's really for pop side books are, Unreal. We live in a, we live in an age where that they sell like nothing else. Self help books are hot cake. They sell like hot cakes. It's they unreal do. because people always want to learn about how they think, how they how things work around them. Not even we obviously have our psychology and mind leanings, being both psychology students. But I think there are other books out there that make you you want to buy them because you're like I want to know why that works. And so these pop psych books are a great thing if you can translate what you do into that sort of everyday tangible reading that every man joke can can read i think we're probably in a pretty good spot are you good you feel happy you feel good i feel content i feel like we addressed a lot content and i feel like if you and i go grab a beer or something after this we're going to discuss so much more time you uh yeah you said some cool stuff man and i i appreciate you coming you will and i like what you're doing honestly this is really cool That was Beyond the Jargon on CFUV. Thanks for listening. See you next week. And remember, gang, if you enjoyed the show, go to cfuv.uvic.ca to download the extended version.